Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Well, it's all Welcome to the Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Fabulous to be here today, as always. Excited. I have a guest in the booth today with me. Always a treat. And a special guest, David Fry, who is the co-host, has has co-hosted the Westminster Dog Show, the National Dog Show. You've been all over the place for a long time in this industry, and it's such a pleasure to have you here today with me. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be back in Seattle, too, and and a place where I lived for a long time. And Yeah, we were just talking about how beautiful Seattle can be when she wants to be. <laughs> when she wants to be. Isn't that the key? Yeah. We have one of those summer days when, when you walk out and the sky is blue and the mountain's out and boats everywhere, and it's just hard to resist. Yeah. Well... So the Seattle Kennel Club Dog Show is this weekend, March 10th and 11th at CenturyLink Field Event Center. And it's always falls every year, always. Well, and I can speak at least for the last nine years that it's always the same weekend as Daylight Savings. Oh, that's right. Which Even is extra, an extra we hour. We lose an hour. One hour left. Yes. So that Saturday <laughs> night is a, is, a, is a shorter night. It is, but I, you, I've just demonstrated now that I still don't understand daylight savings time. <laughs> I'm like my dogs. Yeah. I'm like your dogs. They don't yeah. understand that what daylight savings time is all about. They still want to eat at whatever time they were eating yesterday. And you notice that when their their 24-hour clock is going off, hey, it's dinner time, and you're like, no, it's not not yet. you got to wait. I need another hour. You yeah. guys go back and sit on my couch. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> so... <clears throat> I'm so excited to talk with you today about a number of topics. Uh, The Seattle Kennel Club Dog Show, of course. This is a really great event. I've talked about this show every year um, on the dog show with Julie Forbes. And I love going and, you know, I'm a breed enthusiast. I love dog breeds and thinking about the... And understanding dog breeds, you sort of understand the history of our of our existence together on this planet and how we have developed the breeds and understanding the job descriptions that they were all bred to do and why. And there's just a lot of history there. And um, it's just so interesting and fascinating. And I love to go and see the breeds and watch the agility and see all the dog people with their embroidered jackets of different, you know, the big Bernice mountain dog on the back of a denim jacket and, and all of the demonstrations that they have there, they have herding and police dogs and nose work and all sorts of interesting stuff. If you're a dog lover, it's a really great event to go and just really immerse yourself in, in a dog event. Absolutely. And whether you're a dog lover or maybe you're looking for a dog, too, for your family, it's mm-hmm. a great place to come and be educated and talk to people about certain breeds that you you may be interested in. And mm-hmm. um, that's what it's all about. It's the educational process. But even more than that, you know, it is the competition. It is all those things that are going on. But re- in reality, it's a celebration of the dog in our lives. And yeah. you can get there and you can see these dogs and you can smile. You can run over and hug them. During their competition, you can't do that with Richard Sherman, for example, but, <laughs> but you can do it with the dogs, and, yeah. and, uh, and we'll, we all have fun doing it. Yeah, it's a great place to go also, as you mentioned, if, if you're looking to add a dog to your family and you're curious about breeds. Cause it's working with behavior. I am a huge advocate for people getting educated about, you know, don't just pick this breed because they're cute and you like the way they look, make sure that you understand more about them and what they were bred to do and their temperament to make sure that it's a good fit for your lifestyle. And I think this is also a great place to go. You can go online and find out when the breed that you're interested in is showing. I encourage people, you know, talk to people, ask for references for breeders, maybe even meet some breeders there. Absolutely. I think that's that's the best part about it. I mean, the, the greatest thing about purebred dogs to that is that their predictability. Mm-hmm. I know they're all little four-pound balls of fluff at some time or another. Mm-hmm. 
And I know that this little four-pound ball of fluff that's going to grow up to be a Pomeranian may look a lot, not a whole lot, but may look a lot like a four-pound ball of fluff that's an Akita puppy. Yeah. And they're going to grow up considerably different and, and yeah. differently. And then with you and your family and you yourself, if you know how they're going to grow up, you know what size they're going to be. You're going to know about their personality and their temperament based probably on what they were originally bred to do. Then you know how that's going to fit your family best. And you as a behaviorist, you well know that a lot of dogs end up in shelters because of behavior issues. It's because people aren't ready to deal with the behavior that's brought on, perhaps, by the specific breed that yeah. these dogs are. Mm-hmm. So come get yourself educated. It's a better chance for success. That dog doesn't end up in a shelter later because you know what it's going to grow up to be. Mm-hmm. And also about, um, you know, I've talked about this over the years consistently as well, is that when you're looking, if you're looking for a purebred dog to get educated about different breeders because they're not all created equally. And... Um, you know, there's in, in this world of dogs, at least in this country, and I imagine it, it occurs in other countries as well, there's a little bit of uh, a finger pointing, you know, adopt, don't shop, like don't ever buy a dog from a breeder ever because that's bad and that's what contributes to overpopulation. And it's like, no, you know, there's a, have you heard of um, The Dog Merchants by Kim Cavan? It's a sure. book. Sure. One of the most important books I think written, she did a fantastic job gathering all of this information and really presenting it in a balanced way and understanding the nature of of the industry and how it works and how, you know, as much as dogs are family members to you and I and to, I assume, pretty much everybody listening to this show, to look at the industry of it, to look at them as more of a product and to see how that works so that we can understand how to protect their welfare and how to look for the good breeders, how to find them, and how to identify the ones that we don't want to support financially. It's yeah, I important. Think one of the things that Kim talked about is that we originally bred dogs and brought dogs into our existence to do some work for us. Mm-hmm. You know, and they don't really do that work anymore. We have, we don't need the, the, the terriers getting the rats out of our kitchen. We've got the Orkin man. You know, we don't, right. we don't necessarily need the hunting dogs, although they're still pretty active. Because we've got Safeway, we've got Amazon delivering food to us. We don't need to go out and be hunters and gatherers. So what they've done, they've moved from our backyards into our garages and now into our homes where they're living on our couches and shedding on our black clothes and stealing food off our counters and maybe even drinking water out of the toilet every once in a while. But they are real dogs and they're members of the family. We treat them that way and we like to do things with them, whether it's a dog show or some of these some of these great performance mm-hmm. events that we have going to in the dog world. Yeah. You know, you brought up something that I is is one of my sort of favorite things to talk about in the world of dogs, and that is understanding that dogs and people have been living together for at least forty thousand years the most confident number in science, last time I checked, and um, at least. And that's a long time. You know, think about that. 40,000 years that dogs, genetically as dogs, have been living with us as humans. Makes me feel very young. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, and you just said the nature of the relationship really has been working together. You know, when you think of the sled dog, the hunting dog, the herding dog, the the flock guarding dog, et cetera, right? The terriers. Yeah. And that now, and from my perspective in working with behavior, this is a big one to really understand as the source of a lot of behavioral challenges, is that there's an unemployment epidemic in dogs in this country. We have all these dogs that are genetically still the husky and the pointer and the et cetera, and they're unemployed. Let's find a job for them. Exactly. And that's what we do with these activities. It's what we do with things like therapy dog work, mm-hmm. that uh, we find something that dogs are good at, yeah. and, and we partner with them. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of it, is that when, when my dog's a great therapy dog, they're doing it with me. It's sort of giving them cues and getting them in the room and kind of staying out of the way and letting them work their magic. But it becomes great fun and it creates a great bond with me and my dog. I always say there's no bad dogs, only bad owners. Yeah. And that might not be 100% true, but it's pretty close. And that if you yeah. want to be a good owner, then get ready for the dog that you have. Yeah. 
And meet their needs. Yeah. Yeah, their basic needs. So you have, you, I'm curious to know, and I know because I've, I've looked you up, but, um, you know, how, so you've co-hosted the Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show for 27 years, co-hosted NBC's National Dog Show since it started in 2002. You were a uh, breeder, owner, handler, a judge, and your breeds, Afghan Hound, Brittany, Cavalier, King Charles Spaniel. A little bit of everything there. Isn't that great? A little bit. Nice variety. <laughs> so Lots of grooming. Yeah. And I said, did you see the commercial with the Afghan hound sitting on a couch from behind? And the, I did. the guy mistakes it for I a woman. Did. That comes from a very famous picture in the mid-50s of a guy in a car, in a, a hardtop convertible with the top off. Yeah. From the back. Uh-huh. And, and it looks like it's a girl. And you come around to the front. That actually happened to me in Eugene, Oregon, growing up with huh. my very first Afghan hound. My girlfriend was told I was driving down Willamette Street with some blonde <laughs> in the car. And I thought, I'm, oh, my God. I said, I'm not really seeing anybody else. What could, oh, oh, that was Jason. That had to be Jason. Oh, funny. <laughs> and so, so she bought that story, which yeah. I remembered it <laughs> for future use. Yeah. That wasn't someone else. It was an Afghan <laughs> yeah, hound. that's right. <laughs> well, they're really beautiful. You don't see too many of them around. And I always, you know, because I'm such a, a dog sort of um, geek in this way. I'm, oh, ooh, there, you know, there's an Afghan hound. You don't see too many of them. And they're, they're very, um, you know, I love dogs in general. But the sight hounds, I kind of have a special like a, you know, and then that you never, never see an Afghan around. And they're so sort of beautiful and elegant and the hair, you know. Come and see them at the dog show this weekend. I will. The event center. We're, we've got 160 different breeds and varieties there for you. Yeah. 13 or 1,400 dogs. And, yeah. And it, it'll be, it, it's, it's fun just to walk around and see because you're going to look at dogs and smile like, like you would anywhere. And then it's like, what is that, you know, that breed? get a breed? lot of that, yes. What is that breed? <laughs> yeah. And there is a Meet the Breeds um, up above, which is a great uh, great space to go up. And there's all sorts of different breed clubs with members of their breed sort of representing you can go it's another great place to go talk to people learn more meet them get more information about what they're like to live with great part of what we do at seattle kennel club is is give people that opportunity maybe they see maybe they see a commandor in the in the in the uh, confirmation ring they say i want to go find out about that how do i do that i said just go right upstairs here Mm -hmm. and you'll talk to the people at the commandor club and i'm making that up as i go and it may not necessarily not every breed has a booth there, right, right. but most of them do. Yeah. And uh, you can always talk to the people with the dogs at ringside, but you can, maybe you can find a little bit more upstairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you come from like a dog family, like where your grandparents always, ha- you know, or anything like that? I really don't. That's what's so amazing, really, if, if I may say my own story is amazing, is that I never had a, dro- a dog as a kid growing up. Mm was moving into my own house in college, and my girlfriend said, let's get a dog. I said, oh, okay. You know, guys will do anything for their girlfriend. I said, what kind? And she says, how about an Afghan hound? I said, I don't, what is that? (laughs) And we got the dog, and three weeks later, the girl left, the dog stayed, and that's what got me into showing dogs. I met other people with Afghan hounds, hanging out, walking on the street, and, and with direction from people, and eventually dabbled in the show world. Um, eventually married into a level of involvement and competition mm-hmm. with the, the Afghan hounds. Ah. And and that's what brought me to Westminster and yada, yada. Here I am today with lots of dog shows on, on television. So Yeah, interesting. It's interesting how that happens, huh? You just it is kinda... amazing. I, somebody yeah. was watching out for me because my dogs have brought me so much. Yeah. And the people that came with them, I might add. Yeah. <laughs> that that uh, it's, a wonderful, it's a wonderful family sport. And it's not just for your family, but for your circle of friends and the people that you get to meet and know mm-hmm. and hang out with. Those are all people that are very dear to me. And, and well, not maybe not all of them, but most of them. <laughs> so do you and you have two dogs now? I have two dogs now. I have a Brittany and a Cavalier. I had uh, two Brittany's before that both passed. And uh, but, you know, I was living in a high rise in New York City. So I was kind of limited in, in numbers, but. I brought a Brittany in. It's a very active bird dog, but she grew up from the time she was seven weeks old, Grace, um, in a Sherpa bag. She went places with me in a Sherpa bag. And if you, you of course, know about Brittany's, 
that's the last thing they're going to do is get into a Sherpa bag. But, <laughs> but Grace uh, was living in a Sherpa bag. That's how you get her on public transportation in New York City. Mm. So she grew up in a high-rise in Manhattan. She'd has been in the field maybe once or twice, mm-hmm. uh, not very seriously. But walking down the street, she'll stop and point every pigeon she sees. So she still is wired to do what she does, and that's what shapes her personality, and that's the thing that we love about mm-hmm. uh, about our dogs, about any breed. Yeah. Their activities that they originally did shape their personality. My Cavalier is much different than my Brittany, but they're still both loving, active dogs, and mm-hmm. it's, that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. And the Cavalier King Charles Spaniel is really bred, when I think of a dog that was really bred for companionship, that's the first one I think I think of. Well, she's a great lap dog, Mm -hmm. but you know, they are a bird dog, a spaniel bred down, so uh, bred down in size over the years. So um, she still has some of that bird sense about her, not quite like Grace does, but but she's she's always ready to go. Mm -hmm. There, I had a really interesting conversation several years ago now with um, Stanley Corin about his book at the time, which was new, The Modern Dog. And it was really fascinating. I think we like focused in on just a tiny piece of that book and it, you know, the hour went by like that. The relationship between the evolution of gun dogs and the technology of guns. And it was really interesting. My memory of it is a little foggy now, but it was like, you know, when the guns were not as accurate the dogs had a little bit of a different job to do because the shot wasn't as good. And then as the technology of the guns progressed, the, the job description of the dog changed a little bit. And so they kind of tweaked from the pointers to the spaniels. And then all, and then, then he was talking about more urban environments and less space. So then you're just having to sit at a duck pond with your quiet Labrador who's just ready to go out, you know. So it was really interesting because I I love talking about that kind of evolution together and all that. And it was really interesting, that relationship between the two. He's quite a guy. I mean, he also wrote the book, The Intelligence of Dogs. Yeah. And talking about my Afghan hounds, you know, he talked about three different kinds of intelligence, their their intuitive intelligence, their adaptability, and their trainability. And, And from that, in trainability, he decided he was going to rate rank all the dogs according to how trainable they were. Mm-hmm. And then that became his PR project, uh, his publicity project for, for the book, was to say these are the smartest dogs. Not that they were the most trainable, but the smartest dogs ranked down to the dumbest dogs. And last on that list was my poor Afghan hound. Really? And at the time, I was president of the Afghan Hound Club of America. So I made a couple of talk show appearances with Stanley, <laughs> and he had a sense of humor about it. And, but the Afghan people were so offended by it. I said, it really... He didn't write that our dogs were stupid. He just said they're not trainable. And, and, and you know what? The dogs that ranked at the bottom of the list were the sight hounds and the terriers, the dogs that do their work without human directing them. Yeah. It's just intuitive, and they go make things happen. Yeah. We have Afghan hounds that have been lost in the woods for days because they ran off, and they come out of it because they've got some great adaptability mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So um, we had a fun time with it, but Stanley... Um, Stanley had fun with it, too. He, he said that our dogs were nice fashion accessories. And, and of course, those would be fighting words today. But, but, um, but that's, that's the difference in the dogs. If you want a dog that's a robot, don't get an Afghan hound. Well, and there is a difference between learning what something means in, in the context of obedience training. Teaching a dog, and I talk to my clients about this all the time. There's a difference between teaching a dog what a word means and them doing it. Two entirely different things. <laughs> I understand what that means, but I'm not interested in doing that right now. Why would I? That's, you know, so when you think exactly it. When you think of a hound or or a terrier or whatever, and their job description is in the case of a terrier, go into the hole and kill it. The person isn't, you know, go left, go right, up top. And, the, you know, the terrier's not wired to listen for direction while they are clicked into their drive. Whereas a herding breed, which are a dream for generally for obedience, because there is somebody in their job description, in their wiring, saying, hey, you know, you know, lie down or, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
all the stuff that they say, the direction. So they're wired to take direction from us while they're working versus other breeds that aren't. It's amazing to watch those dogs work. I, I saw a demonstration in New Zealand years ago uh, with sheep where the guy had all of his Australian uh, well, they weren't Australian. I guess they were all border collies mostly. Uh, and they were trained to do whatever he said. And he p- turned three or th- four of them loose with the sheep. And he would whistle. And the, the dog that he wanted to move moved exactly where he wanted it to move. And the other three dogs didn't. Mm-hmm. And I was always amazed that they could tell that just from the whistle, the tone of the whistle. But, mm-hmm. but that's what our dogs do. They're smart. They, they just Sometimes you have to convince them to do something because... They want to do it because you want to convince them that they want to do it, right? So that they will do it yeah. when it's really you that want them to do that. Yeah. So, yeah, they that's have, the beauty of the dogs. You know, that's what makes will. it fun too. Yeah. yeah, and important to know that you know, and and to not say, oh, that dog is, oh, that dog's stupid because it's not listening. It's like actually, there's some, some intelligence involved in being stubborn. That's right. Maybe we're the stupid people <laughs> expecting the dogs to do whatever we tell them. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so and there's no coincidence that, for example, Chaser the Border Collie is a Border Collie who learned over a thousand words. Really, really fascinating it book. It is amazing. That blew my mind. Well, you have a lot that you do, um, you know, with dogs personally, of course, professionally, and co-hosting all of these shows over the years. Uh, the Seattle, um, well, you'll be at the Seattle Kennel Club Dog Show, but you're the co-host of the Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show on USA Network, co-host of National Dog Show. Now, you're not co-hosting the Westminster Kennel Club? After 27 years of doing Westminster and overlapping for 15 of those years with the National Dog Show, Mm -hmm. I had to make it, I was given an ultimatum of having to choose one or the other. I see. And and I chose to go with the NBC guys. And at the time, we were just doing the National Dog Show uh, on NBC National Dog Show presented by Purina, which was uh, hosted by the Kennel Club of Philadelphia. It's the show that's on Thanksgiving Day mm-hmm. every year. This year, we had 30 million people watch the show. So mm-hmm. it's amazing how that show has gone. Mm. And they said to me, we, we want you to come to work for us, and we want you to add a dog show for us. So I said, okay, we're going to add a show in the West, because I'm a left coast guy, as we say, mm-hmm. and uh, and to make it interesting and fun, we, let's take it to Beverly Hills. Let's go to the Beverly Hills Kennel Club mm-hmm. and have the show there, and bring in some celebrities from Beverly Hills, and we'll do a red carpet event and have fun with it. And that's what we've done. Mm-hmm. So that we just shot the last one, the, this year's show this past Saturday in California. And, and we still have some editing and things to do, but it will air on Sunday, Easter Sunday, April 1st oh. on USA Network from 6 until 8. And then it repeats a week later on NBC at 10 in the morning, West Coast time. Fun. Yeah. And so how would, is that the, then if somebody was sort of say searching for that, would it be the Beverly it's Hills? The Beverly Hills Dog Channel. Show. Okay. The Beverly Hills Dog Show. Yeah. Fun. But and this is the second year that you've done that, correct? Second year of that. Yes. Yeah. We've had a lot of fun with it yeah. already. Yeah. And I, you know, I've got a great partner for both of my NBC shows. It's John O'Hurley, uh-huh. who is the famous Mr. Peterman from Seinfeld. <laughs> and uh, other people later in his life may know him as the, the first winner of Dancing with the Stars. Ah. Host of Family Feud. Yeah. And he does a lot of other th- great things. He's got his own one-man show going on now. It takes him all around the country. But he's become a great friend, and, and uh, we've had a great time with the show. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's part of it too is the NBC family that we have with Mary Carrillo as, as our floor reporter. Mary was my partner at Westminster for six years, and and uh, and and it's always fun to be with those guys. Great. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We are talking dog show today, kennel club dog shows today. The Seattle Kennel Club Dog Show is this weekend, March 10th and 11th at CenturyLink Field Event Center. Saturday and Sunday, it's two separate shows each day as far as the confirmation. So at the end of each day, a best in show will be awarded. You can go online, and and if there are specific breeds that you're wanting to see in the ring, you can look up and see when they're showing. Uh, The competition starts at 8 a.m. every morning so um, and then runs until late afternoon with the group and uh, best in show usually around 4 or 5-ish 
So just so that you, you know you know what you're getting at. There's agility going all day, both days, and then lots of demonstrations throughout the days, too. It's a really fun event. It's a great family event. Definitely check that out. That's this weekend. And we will be back in just a few minutes talking more with David Fry. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And now back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Back with us in the booth is David Fry, co-host of NBC's National Dog Show, a former co-host of USA Network's Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show. You also uh, have worked quite a, quite a bit in the sports world as well. I did have a few years in the sports world. I worked for the Denver Broncos for a few years, got a Super Bowl ring out of the deal. Nice. Not as big as it would have been had we won, but um, <laughs> I also worked for the 49ers. And worked for ABC Sports in New York as a publicist for Monday Night Football years Fun. ago, before you were born, I'm afraid. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and that's I always used to say, I th- always thought my my uh, my career path was lined with AstroTurf, but it turns out it was lined with wee-wee pads there instead. <laughs> so, so it's been great. And and there still is enough sports in this in in the dog show world. I, my partner for years was Joe Garagiola with Westminster for nine years. And, um so it, and and we were always produced by the sports team for NBC Sports. So they're the same guys produced our show from Beverly Hills this past weekend. They came by. They stopped on the way back from Korea from the Olympics. So oh. it's the same people in the same with the same great talent, which is great for us in the dog show. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on since you've been in the industry from when you were. Showing dogs, judging dogs, and then co-hosting the biggest, uh, you know, dog shows around. That, how have you seen the industry? If you have, how have you seen the industry change or that world sort of evolve over the decades? I think the main thing is, and especially in in my part of the world. Um, with show dogs is that the shows that I've done, we've tried to move them from being about being a great competition among purebred dogs to being a celebration of, the, of, of dogs in our lives, purebred dogs and mixed breed dogs alike, and try to teach some lessons along the way about responsible ownership and what's important uh, and, the, and the great things you can do with your dog to be bonding with your dog and, and doing good for people in need like therapy dog work. So those are all things that I hope we bring out, and I think we've gotten a lot more conscientious about it through the years from the dog shows on television. I also think people are are more concerned about uh, animal health. Their the responsible breeder will know what's going on in their dog's pedigrees before they put them together to, to come up with a litter, mm-hmm. and I think that's important. But a lot of those things um, uh, come out for uh, dogs that are that are not purebred dogs, and and. To know what's going on in the world, to know what's going on about with canine flu, to know what's going on with hypothyroidism, to know what's going on um, with hip dysplasia and things. Those are all things that come home to us in the dog show world uh, just by being around it. So those are all things that we can then share with other people who may be having some issues who come to us and say, hey, my dog's doing this. How can you, what, what, what do you think that might be? And, and how do I help my dog? Mm-hmm. So those are the things I think that are so important about what what we do and the vision that we have. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like as the years go by, there's more more of a connection with the general public and the dog show versus it being about that that world of dog show people who are already in it and sort of the competition within that world versus the the now connection with you know, the people who aren't in that world. We still have a lot of work to do. I think there are too many people look at the dog show and they think, this dog probably sits on a doggy cushion all week long eating doggy bonbons. And nothing could be further from the truth. It's as we talked about earlier, uh, our dogs are members of our family and the things that they do, uh, that our show dogs do as members of a family are the same things that your dog does during the week. So we want to share that. We want to talk about a great family sport and about all the the bonding that we can build between our animals and our people and 
making sure that we're doing the right thing for our for our dogs, for all animals, for that matter, mm-hmm. and and uh, and and just making sure that we share that with people. And that's what we get to do on television. It's what we get to do at a dog show. We don't we don't touch thirty million people at a dog show like we do for our national dog show, for example. But if you come by to see us on Saturday and Sunday at the Seattle Kennel Club show, you'll get to talk to us about things that may be touching your own dog or your future dog. Mm-hmm. You mentioned, um, you know, purebred and mixed breed dogs alike. And I know more recently there are now competitive events that include mixed breed dogs as well. And something that you, that we were talking about was that, you know, it's important that people understand that dog shows are not anti-mixed breed, that it's, that there's, it's a celebration of all dogs and a celebration of the the dog breeds that we've worked so hard to develop and preserve and and improve upon over the years. And it's also, you know, more and more open to mixed breeds as well. And that and I think it's important to not um, polarize that. that. There's we, a lot of... Uh, we want everybody to know that we love dogs too. And, and even though there are organizations out there and people who, who we call the animal rights world that there's there is some area in common that 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 we share with them um and and everybody's going to have a different opinion about different things you know fur coats uh, biomedical research zoos things like that 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 there may be or or hunting you know there may be people on both sides of that that say you know we, we we agree with this but we don't agree with this so those are important for all of us in this world to work together on those things and, and do what's right for the dogs. And I think that's, that's very important in, in the lessons that, that, that we have. Um, and it's great that we're now including mixed breed dogs. The only reason mixed breed dogs aren't included in confirmation shows, the, the, what you see at a dog show, the main part of what a dog show is about, is that you would have no way to judge them because in a confirmation show, Dogs have a, a written standard that's, that describes the ideal specimen of that breed, and that's what you're judging them against. You couldn't, have, you couldn't do that with a mixed-breed dog. How tall is a mixed-breed dog supposed to be, or what kind of coat is it supposed to have? That's the beauty of, of, of mixed-breed dogs is that they are sort of, you know, Heinz 57, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. that, that provides some, some fun through all of that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but by being able to bring them into agility and obedience— and things like that, uh, we've got something for everybody now. Mm-hmm. And a lot of a lot of purebred dogs. I'm, I'm not a big Labradoodle fan per se. I've never met a Labradoodle that didn't have the greatest personality and temperament in the world. But they all look different. You know, they say, "Oh, this is a Labradoodle." I say, "Oh, okay." And the next Labradoodle I see is going to be three inches taller. And the next Labradoodle that I see is going to have a different kind of coat. So that's great. But a, a number of purebred dogs started out as somebody crossing this dog who's great at hurting my sheep and this dog who's great at getting the rats out of my barn. Mm-hmm. So I want both of those traits in one dog, so I'm going to breed them together. And they keep breeding the offspring so that those traits get fixed, and, that's, and then suddenly they, they've defined the dog as a purebred dog. But there's still a lot of dogs out there that started that way. And, and I, I don't know that Golden Doodles or Labradoodles are ever going to get to that point, but uh, and I don't encourage doing breeding them, but but I do encourage having them and loving them and giving them great homes because they're wonderful dogs. Mm-hmm. And they are a creation of humans. They are a creation <laughs> of humans, some somewhat under false pretenses. I'm not sure I agree with the hypoallergenic idea behind them all because there really is no such thing as a hypoallergenic dog. And if you're getting one, and that's the only reason you're getting it, you, you better be ready for something else because it just doesn't happen that easily yeah and i have met a doodle with a non-ideal temperament just for the record (laughs) right and 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 they wanted you to fix it yes yes just like just like you know every other every other breed and that's why it's so important to to okay if you settle on a breed great now pick a good breeder and this is the same with rescues and this is one of you know one of the things that is so important to bring voice to is that it's not, you know, the problem with the industry is the is that is that dogs are bred by breeders or that it's like no 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 no. 
The challenges that we have are that there are some breeders who are not practicing in a way that's ethical or responsible. There are some rescue organizations that are not practicing in a way that is ethical or responsible. I mean, there are horror stories on both sides equally. Absolutely. And it's I, important that we hold that in this in this conversation. If somebody's a responsible breeder, then they're going to make sure that you are the right are the right mix for their dog. Yeah. They're going to make sure that if you have some problems that they're there for you to come back to and say, "Hey, what's going on with my dog? He just turned 2 and he's starting to do this, this and this." And a and a breeder, a responsible breeder is going to say, "You know what? They all go through this." And here's how you help them through it. Yeah. Find a good trainer, do whatever. Um, but also, if you do have some problems and if you do give up on the dog, don't take it to a shelter. Bring it back to me. Mm. I'm the breeder. You bring it back to me. Mm-hmm. I'll do what I can with it, and I'll try to place it in a good home yeah. that, that maybe is different than the home that they're coming out of. But you don't know as a responsible breeder. There are times where somebody comes to, to us, and I'm not so active a breeder anymore, um, with my dogs, but um, they'll come to us and they'll ask all the right questions. They'll be there. They're hanging out with you for months. They come and they see the litter born and mm-hmm. they help socialize puppies and they buy the right crate and they're going to feed them right and they're doing all their homework and being ready for it. And they take the dog home and it doesn't work and it comes back. But but that surprises you. There are a lot of times that that people will walk out of my home with one of my dogs and it's just I'm operating on a hunch because things aren't quite right. They don't have a fenced yard, but they're going to do this and this. Yeah. Or they don't have this, but they're going to do this and this. And they take the dog and they have the dog for 14, 15 years until it dies. Come back to us and says, I'm ready for the next one. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes you can be surprised like that because the people try to do the right thing. I, I can't believe that people don't try to do the right thing when it comes to their dogs. And we want to be there to support that. We always are. It's not like... Going to going somewhere and buying a dog and putting down your credit card or cash and walking out of there with a dog where all these people want to do is make a sale. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, are they pet stores? I don't know if there are anymore, but there are some new things going on with pet stores in this world. But, um, but we want you to know that you can always come back to the responsible breeders. You can come back to the responsible rescue people too. People complain about rescue people being too strict and having too tough a standards you know what? You got to have some standards. You got to be strict. You can't have somebody come in and get a dog because it's a cute little puppy. Or uh, you can't have somebody say, "I got to get a dog for my girlfriend. She's having her birthday tonight. Right. I'm going to bring the dog home." Right. Um, I can't get a dog because it's a nice. It looks good with my purse, or it looks right on my couch, or I just got a new carpet and it's the right color for my carpet. And now I'm going to take the dog I have out of here because. He's not right for my car, but I'm going to take him to the shelter and I'm going to come and get one of yours. Mm-hmm. That's not right. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a horrible, horrible scene in my mind. You know, it was a really big topic in, um, in the dog merchants was dogs in, in media. And, you know, you, you know, lady in the tramp, cocker spaniels, 101 Dalmatians, Dalmatians. The Taco Bell Chihuahua created a wave in the Chihuahua world of, and and people as consumers want that particular type looking Chihuahua, which actually isn't the the standard, the breed standard. Paris Hilton. Paris Hilton. (laughs) There you go. Your dogs are not fashion accessories. If you need, if you're some guy out there and you need to go get a macho dog to show that you're macho, you aren't. Yeah, right? Yeah. You you can be macho without a dog. You don't need to have a dog to do that. And if you do... Get a dog. I've seen guys, big guys. I saw a guy one year at Westminster. He was in, I was in the gym working out in the morning and he's in there and he's huge. And he's, I said, what do you bench? He says 550 or whatever, some number. And uh, I said, my God, I said, why are you here? And he says, I'm here for the dog show. I said, really? I said, what dogs do you show? He says, chihuahuas. Yeah. (laughs) And sure enough, he won the breed that day. And it was on the show that night. So I got to tell that story. Oh yeah. These are, we see guys like that all the time. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about your work with therapy dogs because you are very much involved in that world. You founded a organization that brings therapy dogs into Children's Hospital in New York, and you've had a lot of experience in that world. And it's such amazing work. You know, therapy dogs are that is a sort of umbrella term to describe a certain situation where a dog and his or her human partner go in as a team and provide 
emotional support in stressful situations. So courthouses, um, kids learning how to read, hospice therapy dogs, children's hospitals. Um, you know, there's so many amazing examples of how, how therapy dogs manifest in the world. And one of the things that you you really spoke to is like when we were talking earlier in the show about this sort of dogs are largely unemployed in this country. What a great way to work with your dog, assuming that your dog has the temperament for it. Right. Because not everybody's up for it um, in that in that world of things. Um, so what got you started with that? <laughs> well, my wife, Sherilyn, um, was had just left her job at Starbucks where she has uh, she has a master's in chemistry but she was working in product development for Starbucks she's on the team that invented she was the flavor chemist when for the uh, team that invented frappuccino interesting and she did the same type thing for for Pepsi and I met her right when she had quit that high paying job and had gone back to school on a government loan <laughs> uh, to get her master's in theology here at Seattle U. Mm. And she was going to write her master's thesis and did write her master's thesis on animal assisted therapy. Mm. And now is a certified Catholic chaplain, but she brought me to Brittany's with her and, and they, they changed my life and she, and she changed my life too. But uh, they, I became, I got in, I already knew about therapy dog work. But uh, now I got personally involved in it, and and that's that's what got us going. Um, we created Angel on a Leash, the, the therapy dog charity that was active for 14 years in New York City. She went on to become the director of uh, family support and the Catholic chaplain for the Ronald McDonald House in New York City, which is for, for pediatric oncology patients mm. and their families to come and live while they were in New York City getting cancer care mm-hmm. or being um, involved in some kind of clinical trial or something. So we were at the Ronald McDonald House two or three days a week. Uh, Grace and I, my, my, uh, my Brittany, we went to the, Ronald, to, uh, the VA hospital mm-hmm. every Wednesday um, because I line up with their demographic. I'm a guy, I'm their age, and, and, uh, and I'm a veteran. So those three things were good for us to go to the VA hospital and see patients and deal with people in need there. A lot of these guys in New York City um, were people that were probably going to be living on the street if they weren't in the hospital. Mm. And so so that's the kind of thing. But it's also just walking down the street and seeing people in New York City. You're going to see guys sleeping on cardboard outside a church somewhere as you're walking to work, perhaps. And, and you see those things. But it can come down to something just as simple as making somebody smile. You know, a dog walks into the room and the energy changes. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens with the dogs, especially at the Ronald McDonald House and with children, where, uh, where a parent will say to you after a visit, say, that's the first time she's smiled in a week. Mm. And, uh, and, and as my friend Bill Sullivan, who was the CEO at the Ronald McDonald House, would say, when a child is sick, the parents are sick. Mm-hmm. And to be able to do something for the child, you're doing something for the parents as well. Mm. And, and it, it's a great, it's a great thing that they do. And we went to, we were the first dogs in at Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, mm-hmm. Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York City. And the things that they did for people with cancer that, you know, didn't have many days left, mm. or maybe you're there on their last day, that um, it's, it's pretty special and pretty touching. And, mm. and the dogs are just being the dogs. They're being themselves. Mm. And they're taking me along on that. So pretty special. It's quite magical. The all of the ways that that's wit that that um, phenomenon is is really witnessed and it's just incredible. I mean, it's hard to really it's hard to really capture it with words because it's so beyond that. Magical is a good word for it, yeah, because it really is. But it's just you know our dogs they're they're spontaneous. The old unconditional love deal, you know, they're spontaneous and they just do things. They live their life in the moment, mm-hmm. and and nobody lives their life in a moment any more than a cancer patient. And, and that's what these dogs are so good at relating to these people just by being themselves. And, uh, and if you're changing somebody's life, you know, we're not working miracles. We don't claim to work miracles, but we may change somebody's life just for the moment, mm-hmm. just for that one moment. And that's what they do. There's such a powerful heart connection with dogs that's, that's in, instant and effortless. That too. And powerful. But, and and that that type of therapy that's happening when you when you mention you know that's the first time I've seen my child smile in however long, you know you 
you, I can feel that in my heart, you know, when you talk about that. Uh, when I was in college, I volunteered with an organization that took X-racing greyhounds to area nursing homes. I witnessed some in- incredible things. I mean, this one woman was walking around the halls and uh, with Alzheimer's and was just mumbling and, you know, beyond kind of communication with words and seemed unable to be reached. And, you know, and, and then, you know, we walked in with these dogs and, and she just like walked in on one of them and came over and just put her hands on his head and then lowered her forehead down and just touched his, and we were, and, you know, we would never leave without tears in our eyes from those situations or, you know, people, Oh, you know, dogs and oh, I always I had corgis my whole, you know, and they and then they get to remember all the dogs that they lived with in you, their life. You give them some moments of lucidity. Yeah, you really do. And I, one of the first places I visited, um, uh, the first guy I visited, uh, um, just the administrators taking me down there. He says, "Now don't count on much from this guy because he's angry that he's here. He thinks his family's dumped him here and they're just waiting for him to die. Mm. He's in the early stages of dementia." So don't expect much from him. Well, we walked into that room. He started slapping his thigh to my dog. He said, come here, come here, you knucklehead. And, she, and Bell breaks all the rules, goes over. I let her jump up on his lap. And, and he's talking to us and talking to her. And he's crying. And, and, uh, mm. and pretty soon when it's over, he says, listen, he says, do me a favor, will you, son? Talking to me. He says, take care of my dog when I die. He thought it was his dog. He used to have a Brittany. Oh. And so we got things like that. We got people who, who then, you know, just think of their own dog and start talking to you about what their dog did for them, too. Mm-hmm. So the physiological things, too, that happen, you know, lowering your blood pressure, lowering your heart rate, lowering your uh, breathing rate, um, increasing the flow of good hormones, those kinds of things uh, have to help the healing process sure. as well. Yeah. It's, it's curious. Um, Amazon, which is headquartered in Seattle, brings people to work from all over the world. And South Lake Union, Amazon is also a dog-friendly campus. So South Lake Union is like its own city, and it is crawling with dogs. And there's a lot of people from other parts of the world who are afraid of dogs and don't have dogs in their culture the way that we do. And I was thinking earlier today, like, I wonder if if, a, if an affinity for dogs is a genetic trait in people. <laughs> It can be. It certainly can be. It certainly can be influenced by your environment and what goes on around you with your parents and the other people around you. We volunteered at Transfiguration Church and School in Chinatown with our dogs, and a lot of those kids—not to paint too wide a swath here—but a lot of those kids had never had a dog in their family. I visited. Uh, I went to um, Beijing about six or seven years ago to theoretically to judge a dog show, but they wanted me there to talk about dogs in the way uh, in the family way of life Mm -hmm. because in china they're thought of as pariahs or worse as food right and 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 for us to be able to start spreading that word there i think i don't know how much it's helped but it certainly helped the people that we talked to i went back to shanghai this past summer and did some of the same thing and it Mm -hmm. it always helps but so there's a new breed one of the new breeds this year (laughs) that's going to be at the seattle kennel club dog show this weekend I'll let you pronounce it. It's the Nederlandse Koikerhunja. <laughs> nice. See, I'll always have a job if I can keep <laughs> pronouncing those <laughs> names right. Yeah. Um, it's a Dutch breed. It's a it's a, a duck tolling dog. It was used to lure ducks down down a waterway into a netted trap to catch them and take them to market. Uh, and uh, originally, and now. They're really more to help capture these ducks and band them, and they use them for for waterland conservation research. And uh, so so we found a new job for them. They don't have to be just out there to help gather food for us anymore. And yeah. Um, so, but that's one you'll see on on Saturday and Sunday. We also are taking one on television with us um, on Friday afternoon on Como. Uh, the 4 o'clock news, if you want to tune in and watch that. But uh, come on by. You'll get to talk to all those people and see these dogs. They're always fun to see the new breeds. Mm-hmm. What are some of the other breeds that you like to see, aside from your three? Well, I, I love my own, but I love to see any dog that's having a good time there. You know, and, and it's like any other activity. If you're there as the human partner, that if your dog's not having fun doing it, it's not going to be fun for you either. And 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 when the dogs that are having the most fun, that's when the people are having fun with them too. So, but I like to see geez, somebody 
Wall Street Journal asked me once, what breed would you have? If you didn't, I said, a boxer. I said, a golden, a lab. You know, dogs that are such great family dogs, um, I love. But I love my dog. I, Angel, my Cavalier, is the first toy dog, the first little dog I've ever had. And I don't, I'm not, uh, I'm not ashamed of my masculinity for having a toy dog. And she's the, she's the greatest. So mm-hmm. come and see. There may be a breed that you've never seen before that could be fun. It's fun to see the athletic working dogs, mm-hmm. the border collies and the German shepherds and dogs like that, that, that you can see the athleticism in them. Uh, the hounds, I love my Afghan hounds and Salukis and, and sight hounds like that. Mm-hmm. The beagle. The Beagle, Uno the Beagle, my favorite winner of all time at Westminster in 2008. Um, he and I visited the White House together and threw out the first pitch at two Major League Baseball games. So any Beagle I see reminds me of Uno. I'm judging the four- to six-month-old Beagles at their national specialty in Portland this fall. Oh, my God, how am I going to judge four- to six-month-old Beagles? They're <laughs> yeah. going to melt me off. I know. They're so cute. Well, this has been uh, wonderful to have you here. Thank you Thank for your you. time. Let's do it again. I'd love it. I'll come back every year. Excellent. We have. I want people to come and see us at Seattle Kennel Club this weekend. That's right. CenturyLink Field Event Center. You can look it up online. Seattle Kennel Club Dog Show. Seattle, SeattleDogShow.org. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, starts at 8 a.m. Saturday and Sunday. It's a wonderful event. Totally kid-friendly. Just be sure that you ask before you pet dogs that you don't know. Good girl. Lots of really fun uh, booths. There's all the the dog socks that I always go for and get some every year. So, David Fry, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Julie. It's been a pleasure. And I'll see you. We will see you at the Seattle Kennel Club Dog Show this weekend. Thanks for listening to the Dog Show with Julie Forbes. been listening to the dog show with julie forbes wednesday afternoons at two on alternative talk 11 50 a.m never miss another episode listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on itunes or soundcloud